it's not up to me to make a change. It's up to me to just do what I do and hope people take notice. And with the soup trailer, I just wanted to do something and doing it. Now we're talking and people are talking. That's great. So just keep doing the little things you're doing and know that they are being seen. They are worthwhile. It may feel like you're just making sandwiches in your basement and handing them out and no one knows, but you're making that difference. And that is changing lives. And wherever scale you're at, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it and find your community and and get into that community and spot a problem that needs to be altered or improved and then just commit to doing that one thing. Giving one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. This is Barbara Heller. I'm your host and so very grateful. I don't know about you, but lately after seeing what's been going on in the Middle East and talking to my friends around the world, my Jewish friends, my friends who are standing up for Israel, who are standing up for democracy, who are standing up for women's rights, LGBTQ rights. There is something really powerful going on where we are bonding together and we are standing up in the face of cowardice. Barry Weiss said it this week on the Free Press that there is this growing cowardice happening all over the world where people are too afraid to say what they really want to say. So then they shut down and people are being pigeonholed and saying, well, you if you're fighting for this, then you must be all the way this or you're in this box. And we should be able to have conversations that have multi-levels, multi-colors, multi-generational concerns. And people are being silent because they're afraid. And to me, this is resembling 1930s in Germany. So please be strong and courageous while we still have the freedom to speak in certain places. Use that freedom to speak. If you're going to be in the LA area on Saturday, February 17th, please check out my website. Go to barbheller.com backslash solo show or go to bit.ly backslash stand up for humanity. I am doing an incredible stand up show with my dear friends in order to raise money for teens that are at risk in the Middle East. I'd really appreciate it if you went and supported us at our event. There will also be a live streaming option, we've just been told. So stay in touch with me. You can always go to info at barbpeller.com or check out my website barbpeller.com backslash solo show to find out more. And without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Tyler Melnick. That's M as in Mary, E-L-N-Y-K. You can find him at no fixed address on Instagram. That's literally the name of his organization, no fixed address. It is a business that sort of functions as a hybrid nonprofit. You can find out more about it there. And we're going to go into detail in his interview he is a wonderful educator. You can tell from the moment he speaks, he is a true educator. He grew up with a dad who was homeless and his heart sunk and it was very challenging for him as a kid, as you can imagine, having a father who chose to be homeless 
And instead of walking around angry at his father, he chose to forgive him and completely make his life's work educating people and himself so that that kind of life or that kind of choice did not befall him. And wait until you hear what he's doing with his life. It is unbelievable. Thanks for tuning in. Without further ado, here is Tyler Melnick. Tyler Melnick. Good morning. I already feel like I know you a little bit because I've been watching your Instagram. No fixed address underscore YYC. You're Ukrainian Catholic and I'm a Ukrainian Jew because all of my great grandparents were kicked out of, well, they either, they have the choice, either give up everything they owned and die or leave. So they chose to leave and leave everything, all their riches, or some of them were very, very, very poor, but a couple of them were actually very wealthy and they came here, started nothing in New York City. Um, so I, I conspire with you, I get it. Um, uh, and I have this feeling, there's a song I sing in my show, uh, Messianic Moments and Cosmic Conversations, that's called Everyone's a Little Bit Jewish. So I have a feeling, just based on who you are, you might have some Jewishness. In this feeding the poor is like a huge part of I think it's the, the Yiddish kite is my two grandparents were survivors of like their own German experience. I don't have enough information to really go on record about exactly they where when, but they were involved in having to work throughout the war. They were workers who were kept to work. And then after the war quickly, they just uh, had to run. So they left Ukraine, went through Belgium, had my dad and came to Canada. There was reparations made by the German government years later. I want to dive deeper into that uh, but part of growing up in a chaotic home environment is a lot of the memories are lost a lot of the history is lost so there are people and there is a record and i, I look forward to getting into that once i uh, have better contact center for jewish history i believe is the name of the museum and i actually went there myself and i thought i knew a lot about my history and it turned out i did they have censuses they have all kinds of play people in my show who escaped the war world war ii and were forced to be Catholic just because their family was so traumatized that they were afraid if they were Jewish, you know, also being Christian or Catholic can be like terrible in a lot of places where you get killed for just believing in religion at all. But a lot of Jews hid in churches. That's a thing. Back to you present day. Yeah. I was very taken with what you're working on. And I'd love for you to explain a little bit about what you're doing. I'm a high school teacher. Oh my, of course you are. This is my classroom. It's not it's, there's no kids in it because we're on exam break right now. It looks fake. Um, so this is what you pass around when we're in sharing circle. It's a buffalo because the buffalo represents strength to the Canadian First Nations, or at least the ones from this land, which is treaty number seven. Yeah, the buffalo is strength and, the, and education and buffaloes are linked. So you pass the stone around the circle. It's one of the ways we, we want to bring a full circle to reconciliation and, and education. And oddly enough, more than half of the people I serve when I'm doing the pay it forward are for First Nations. And I'm teaching this course, but I'm also working on the street, meeting people one-on-one -on -one and hearing their stories and just understanding more about what I'm missing when I teach it in the classroom, what I'm thinking about, because I just don't know, right? But now I do. And uh, there's a great uh, there's a great Canadian author, uh, Thomas King, and he has got this story where he says, now that you know the story, you can't say you haven't heard it. There's no deniability now to go on, is to accept the knowledge and then hold it and then do something with it. Yes. You're doing this food truck, a very unconventional food truck on the street. How did it start? Where did this idea come from for you? I was dabbling with the idea to do almost like a rehab approach. I, like I grew up with 
parents who were struggling with their own illnesses. And so I witnessed quite a bit growing up that was going to shape my identity. It was traumatic, but yet it was really educational in a sense. It did show me what I didn't want to be, but also what could be, you know, there was this, it could be, but thankfully you've seen this example. So now you won't let it be. With that in mind, I, I've always been volunteering and looking for a way to give back. So I started doing some outreach in earnest during COVID when we were at home working and everyone was complaining about having to work from home. And there's two privileges there right away is that you have a house and you have a job. And so then I started looking around going, well, what about people who are far worse off? I reached out to my city councillor, who's now mayor of Calgary. Uh, at the time, we were just chatting back and forth about different social ideas. I said to her, you know, like, I want to get involved in some things. And she said, I knew this person, runs an outreach group downtown, why don't you go work for them? And that turned into about a year of volunteering. And in that time, I saw problems that needed solving. I saw delivery problems. I saw dignity problems. I saw compassion fatigue setting into the volunteers who were giving so much, they were burning out. And I said, there's a problem here. Why are the volunteers burning out? That should never be. And then of course the funding procurement wheel is like a revolving door. You always have to have your next grant lined up or else you're at risk. So there was two things there. Number one, I could do better in certain areas to help them, but I want to do it as a business so that I'm not reliant on the hand of another organization or government. I can prove that this could be sustainable because businesses can make that change uh, to the bottom line. And I've heard it now called a triple bottom line, people, planet, and profit. So when you bring that mindset in, there's still lots of room for growth here. Like I do want to move it to different cities and I do want to grow it. But my first priority is prove the concept and make a difference. And then good things will come, you know, like search for God. In Matthew 6, 33, it's, uh, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all their things shall be added to you. Keep that in mind and just like go forward and do good and see what comes of it, you know? And that's that's where it came from. Beautiful. And you must have been a chef of some sort because people I, just listening to your menu. I was like, this sounds so yummy. It's just three things. But wow, I don't make the food. I have to say, I, I know. Um, but there's a story there, too. Uh, it's about food security and it's also about addressing the food waste. So I've gone to people who make excellent foods. Right. And I've asked them to partner up and help curb any waste by directing it to me instead. And then I pay their cost. So basically I'm paying cost for something that is a day old or, you know, uh, they have surplus of it and that's being directed to me, which allows me to run this model. So I'm working with partners in that way. I know the food sounds great, but I can't take credit for it. I'm not, I'm busy teaching. <laughs> so I'm just picking the food up and then bringing it. Um, but these partners are huge. They're, they are the reason it's working. And who pays for that? Like on a teacher salary, I know what that feels like because I've been a teacher for 25 years. So <laughs> I don't think we have expendable income. How do you find that? You just do. I was committed to it and I believed in my business and I believed I could go to a capital route. So originally I was thinking not for profit and there would be grants and things like that. But when I went to the business model, now it was either me or get a, get a VC, like an angel investor or a VC, like go to someone for capital. Over and over, I was reminded myself that a minimal viable product is best because if I can bring down the startup costs, then not only do I assure the longevity or the sustainability of it, I also can then scale up easier than starting too high up and then having to like pay that off while trying to start a business from brand. What I ended up doing was going from a food truck to a trailer, which was a massive drop, a 90% savings in what my initial output would have been. So when I made that, then I realized, okay, it's time to fork up. So I just did it. I just took my savings and I, I had the trailer made and bought it. And uh, I did uh, all the initial work for about a year and a half into this project. And I haven't made a cent yet. The, all of the expenses and everything outweigh what 
but what's come in. And plus the nature of giving it away at cost also means it's gonna take longer. This isn't for everyone. This isn't a get rich quick. This is a long-term plan to do good and it's perfect for someone who wants to do it on the side. So you said something that I completely disagree with, which is, all right, so it's a good disagreement. All I'm doing is serving people food. I'm, I'm, I'm taking food that someone else made and I'm, I'm serving it to people. But that's clearly not what you're doing. I used to do that here. There's a wonderful, wonderful organization called Tomhe Chavez. That is, I don't know how they fund it, but every single year they fund it. And um, I used to just do food runs where I would put it in my car and then take it out to people who couldn't walk or move out of their house. They were um, debilitated in some way. Uh, a lot of elderly um, people who should probably be in, in homes where they have full-time care, but they just can't afford it. And so uh, right here in Los Angeles, very wealthy areas, there are people who are completely starving. And this was their food for the week. It was like a you know, gallon of milk, just staple food, cheese, all kinds of stuff, things that you probably would find at the 99 cent store. But then yeah. sometimes there'd be a full chicken or you know, everything's kosher from Jewish families and sometimes non-Jewish families as well. But I knew when I was delivering it, you mentioned there were delivery problems. I can only imagine what you mean. Most people are probably thinking like, oh, the cars are breaking down or they didn't get there fast enough. But I have a feeling you're also meaning the way in which people are serving each other. And um, there's a lot of laws in Judaism, actually, as I'm sure you find in Catholicism, where you never want to make the person you're giving to feel hurt or embarrassed in any way. And there's eight different levels of charity. We call it tzedakah. Tzedakah is charity in Hebrew, and it's actually is more than just the word charity. People scoff it off like, oh, it's just charity, but it's actually, it means tzedek is the, the root of the word, and that means justice. When someone um, engages in charity, whether they're giving it away or they're even receiving it, there's a divine justice that's happening on this earth. It's like the whole reason we have money in the first place. It's not just to be greedy or to get nice things. It's, I mean, that's wonderful. You know, you want to have nice things and everyone's entitled to, at the same time, it's the giving and the receiving end that makes it a justice. It's not like, oh, I gave that person. I'm, I'm a good person now. It's like, no, actually, <laughs> did you give within your means? Did you go outside of that? We're supposed to give 10% of everything we earn to charity and the way in which you do it there's like these eight levels and one of them is like just actually leaving it at the door however when you're in a you know society like this and, and you do it so well and i really want to get into what drives you to be this way is how kind you are and the way in which you set up so let's let's talk about i think you call it a huggable yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's the company's name is no fixed address but the huggable is the center of the company it's the free bull I'm going to have to decipher your Canadian. The free bowl or the free meal yeah. is the huggable. Huggable. So, that's right. Huggable. Like we're huggable. But it's H-U-G-G-A-B-O-W-L. Huggable. So that is like a huggable. Like, like you're, you're giving somebody something that will warm them up, that will nourish them, that will give them peace of mind, that will show community, that will connect us. Um, also, during the pandemic, obviously, we grew part. We, we, we took that time to really focus on ourselves and families, and that's all very important. But also, we learned, we, we removed any of those small, really essential links that people were depending on. And now we have to look to rebuild those stronger. Um, that's unfortunately one of the, the major downsides I found socially during the pandemic. And so now the Huggables, again, it's playing on the idea that we're transparent with one another. We see each other. 
you're in a different position than I am in this society. However, you're the same as me. We're, we're, we're exactly the same. Just certain persons had certain privileges and the other hasn't or has had help where the other one didn't get the help. And, um, you know, like speaking from my experience with my dad, no one wakes up in the morning and says, I want to lose it all. I want to do this. I want to live this way. Uh, that is just not something somebody wakes up and chooses. I believe it's a circumstance. It's a circumstance we put people in through our but through our choices as well. We can also undo it for other people through our choices. And so the huggable is my way of giving people a hug. It's my way of just saying, uh, look, this is what I can do. This is what I can afford to do for you. And through superheroes who help pay it forward, I deliver it. And that's why I say I'm just the delivery person because I'm not making anything on those huggables. It's worked out to be about an average of a meal. So an average of a meal is about $5 Canadian, whether it's soup or a pie. And then you include all the other things, right? Propane, electricity, driving, all that has to be worked in somehow. I've struggled with a bit of this. Uh, I'll give you an example. A guy came a couple weeks ago and he wanted a soup, right? Comes up to me and soup. I'm obviously not trying to judge. I'm not trying to make him feel bad that he needs something. So I'm doing this respectfully and I'm willing to give him the huggable. And so I'm saying the huggable tokens are here. Just grab one, hand it to me and you can have uh, something to eat. And he goes, well, and he pulls this shrapnel out of his pocket, like $1. fifty, right? And he goes, I want to give you this. And I was just like, mo I had this moment of truth where I was like, do I take this guy's probably his last $1. fifty? Do I take it? And then I thought he wanted to give it to me. So I would be insulting him, in fact, right? If I didn't take it. And the thing about the person I found out later after examining this, because that's what I do way too much is I get in my own head. And so I was examining this afterwards. And I thought, it's easy for him to give away his last $1.50 because that's like all he has. Why is it so hard for someone with so much to give away the same amount? And then I started going into the whole idea. The more you have, the harder it is to give it away. He'd give it away easily because all he sees all day is people in need. He's in need. Everyone he knows is in need. Now someone's willing to give him something. And he's saying to that person, no, I don't want to just take it. I want to show you I have the ability to pay this $1.50. Share that. And sometimes people are like, you did what? <laughs> thing to do. I feel like he wanted to do it. It went into the donation bin. And I feel like it gave him that opportunity to show me he's ready to move up. He might have five bucks next week. After that, he might have a job. And also in the Hasidus, we learned that the, one of the offshoots of Sadaka giving charity is it's sort of like a generator. So whenever I say a prayer and I like the other night, one of my dearest friends in the world um, had a peanut allergy and he was rushed to the emergency room. And so I like knew he was going to be okay. Cause he's just like, I just, I just felt it, but just in case, but the just in case I, uh, I gave money and immediately pulled over my car because I found out in my car. So of course I pulled over, I pulled out a Psalm in a King David song, 118, which is for health. I said it right there in the car. I said his Hebrew name and his mom's name, because that's what we do when someone is sick. God forbid, we pray for them plus their mom's name. And then I immediately, without speaking or eating or drinking or texting anyone else, I went right to one of my favorite websites to give charity to. And so someone could say, well, you need, you know, you need that money right now for this, this, or this. But I know, first of all, it's going to generate health for him. And for me, I can't afford it. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Um, but there were times in my life where I couldn't. And I noticed that whenever I gave 10% of my earnings away, even if I felt like, oh, 10% sounds like a lot, right? It's yeah. still not. And in the time that you do it, you will see benefits immediately. And now I, I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not here to tell you like, <laughs> if you're in debt a million dollars and you start giving 10%, like, I don't know what your situation is. However, it, it's supposed to ring true no matter what situation you're in. So 
I don't know if that was 10% of what he had at the moment, but the fact that he was able to do that, I'm sure for him and his karma generated a lot more than a dollar fifty. Yeah, it was a beautiful day uh, up here. We've got A&Ws. And uh, he said to me, you know, you can't buy anything for this at A&W. I'm like, but here you can. Here you can get anything you want. So there's two ways you could go about it. I guess I've heard um, there's a really interesting clothing store here called Good Neighbor in Calgary that Alice Lamb opened it a couple of years ago. And she's a social entrepreneur in Calgary. And uh, it's pay what you can. So the whole concept is you go in and it's beautifully outlined uh, downtown thrift shop and you can just literally take and go to the till and you can pay what you can and that's the concept i just i debated that for a little bit should i run this as a pay what you can my worry was then people would just walk away take it and walk away right because if you pay what you can and you could take advantage of that system now i'm opening my business up to being unsustainable and my worst fear then would be a vacuum opens when i go out of business once people started to depend on me. And it's not just homeless people, it's people with food insecurity of all kinds. People with jobs, there's someone at Starbucks who comes by. Starbucks yeah. doesn't pay enough for uh, a decent life. So the guy is benefiting from the soup and working full time, but rent's expensive, so I get it. He may have overspent also on his rent. Of course, maybe, the housing crisis is crazy right now, but yeah. Maybe he's taking advantage of me too, and I don't know. You know, And that's the whole thing about pay what you can is, um, Givers have to set limits because takers rarely do. When I started this business, I was signing up to be a giver. And so because of that, I also needed to protect the body of the business and say, well, if money isn't coming in and everything's going out, that's just a charity model. And then I would be reliant on others to fund the charity. But I'm not looking to do that. I look to raise purchases of huggables to cover my costs, but I also have regular sales. I do private events, I do street vending, and I can just do pure outreach. If I have an embarrassment of huggables generated, say I have an account where it shows I have enough for 200 bowls of soup. That's that's a lot. So I'll reach out to an organization and I hope to be in this situation a lot. That's my goal. Uh, and I'll ask them if they want me to come over and sort of just feed uh, a large event of some kind. And so those would be good events for the sake that it shows the concepts working because the overheads being met is this surplus of huggables, which then could make this business run similar to a charity but also has the benefit to grow because it, it has that other arm. It has that business side. What was the hardest thing that you ever had to forgive? When I was in junior high, where everyone was maturing and I was slow, a late bloomer. You too? Yeah, and but then some people thought that that was something to make fun of. Personal bio relation with myself, before I even knew what was going on, became public knowledge to the entire school. And then I was ridiculed and bullied because of this. And the whole time, I didn't even know what was happening with myself. I calling me out, making really rude things, and it just it just destroyed me. Years later, I had to go back and forgive those people. Mm-hmm. However, I still don't understand what the big deal was. Just pubic hair, just not being in the change room with the guys, and some had hit it, and some had it shared with some females, and. It just became the thing they chose. I guess in a way, it could have been anything. It could have been big ears. It could have been funny hair. It could have been uh, being poor. For some reason, this is what was chosen. And in all honesty, I had no idea it was coming. And next thing you know, I'm finding out there's something wrong with me. You know, and to the point where I was completely isolated, crying daily, didn't want to go to school. Mm. hated school, hated school because of this. And I really did turn away from school and really became a 
bit of an asinine kid because I felt like the teachers and the staff let me down because they did nothing to stop it. Either they didn't know or they didn't care. What a violation. For sure. Did you ever have a chance to talk to any of those kids that were involved? No. Yeah, I moved schools that next year. Uh, Maybe my parents picked up a change in me and uh, noticed I wasn't having a great time or nothing. But I I didn't really even tell anyone because I was just so, I was ashamed. I thought there was really something wrong with me. I went into a deep spiral of like just shame and, and worthlessness and had to overcome that. So that taught me to have forgiveness and they know not what they do. They just, maybe they thought this would be funny. Did they really understand how it would shape that direction of my life at that point? Probably didn't even think twice about it. Just just fun yeah. to you know point out someone's difference. Um, and it's given me a lot of empathy for people. Like as a teacher now, a lot of students have all kinds of issues going on in their lives where maybe some people would say, oh, that's not a big deal, just let it go. Or I just feel completely uh, empathetic to all of the students that I teach and I work with who have social difficulties or struggles because, you know, I can really, really identify with them. I'm good that way at like being a support for people. Beautiful. I also felt that way. And in seventh grade, I was making fun of for all kinds of things because I always support my heart on my sleeve as I'm sure you were too. And I think people who aren't like that and they're really uncomfortable when someone is very, who is very comfortable in their skin enough to, to share like honestly from their heart, it's like the biggest threat to a bully who is afraid. They look for things so that they can attack because they're like, oh, they're vulnerable. I'll grab them. When I got to theater camp, I was like, wow, I'm in a whole group of people who think I'm pretty and funny and interesting. And they're, and they're all like me. Like they also wear their hearts on their sleeves and they also don't fit in. If you found your tribe, for sure. I did. Uh, yeah. I really found my tribe when I went to my first Shabbat dinner many years later in New York. And I found these like, orthodox like modern orthodox nerdy kids who also were in theater (laughs) it's so specific it's like people look like so homogenous you just like we're all exactly the same but i also think diversity is the key yes uh, when you said when you said the thing about going to camp and having your eyes open for sure it felt like my whole world was in that time right as time moved further ahead from there and i experienced more interactions and people and had a better understanding then it became less and less. And that's when I could actually start to go back and question unpacking what happened. But for a number of years, I just stored it away. Yeah, same. I'm glad that you were able to release that. And I hope that opened up a lot for you. Similar to people in the news, in the media, in the White House, no matter what we say or do, it's like under such scrutiny today, like it wasn't before. And some of that is good because there needs to be a change in how we educate and there, there, we do have to work out a lot of the kinks. But I'm wondering if you could speak to that. I was just let go from a position a couple of years ago and it was done in such a harsh, horrific way for me that I was very, very sad. And I like, for a few days, couldn't even come out of my home. I was just like, I felt banned from the community. It was a terrible feeling, terrible. It took a long time to heal from it. You know, I work in show business, but I also was always a teacher. And so similar to you, when you have like entrepreneurial ideas or you work in two places, you kind of associate certain feelings with teaching. And I can tell you're already very, very, very passionate about what you do. Going, growing through that situation, I was able to see how painful and scary it is for many educators, many social workers who someone just says one thing 
and it's not even true or the way they interpreted what you said or how you said it is completely not what you meant. And there is no container for a conversation for that right now. It's just, but bye, you're canceled. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like we're in the same place. No, you like you're in LA and I'm in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And, and uh, I feel as though there are so many similarities between what you just said. It's un it's unnerving actually when you said that last part about how conversation is now not necessary because you know it's a you're right you're right I'm wrong attitude and then we're supposed to be teachers we're supposed to be setting that example so what will these students grow up and yearn to be or, or demonstrate if we're not able to come to conclusions ourselves hopefully you find your way back into teaching in some sort like this podcast is teaching I can tell you've got you've got your edge on it and that's good and it doesn't have to be that stand and deliver teaching at the front of the room teaching is a universal discipline i'm glad i went here it's i think of it as a trade i really do i know people don't like to be associated with that necessarily because it's an academic profession but it's just as much a, a social developmental uh, emotional intelligence like gardner from you know howard gardner and the emotional the seven intelligences the emotional one's the most important to me and it's the one where you figure out people and then you know where to put your investments in because some relationships are just not going to uh, turn out. They're just not going to have a return. Other ones will give you back more than you could ever imagine. And, you know, if you look at it as a cycle of three parts, there's the aim, the self, and then there's the relationship. And then if you look at any situation, you say, how much am I going to give to the relationship? Well, that chunk is gone in the pie. Sometimes the relationship is just, let's get through this day together. Now, when you go in with a 5% relationship mindset, that is not going to be conducive to any kind of reconciliatory conversation. And that's why the healing cannot begin in the environment the trauma began. You, you cannot start to heal in the environment which caused the trauma. And, you know, for me, I've been in the same building for 10 years now. And yeah, a lot of water has passed under the bridge and a lot of storms have come and gone. Yet there is an environment which continues to predicate mentally and physically, emotionally, uh, the past in every new interaction. So yeah, for a while there, I thought, oh, new school, new building will change things. And then I started to just recently think, well, how great would it be if I made the change within myself? Because you know, whatever, wherever I go, whatever, you know, I'll be there. And my dad did tell me that. He said, Tyler, no matter where you run to in life, you go there. And so look inside first, right? And so that's where the journey has to begin. I know it's cliche, but you really got to kind of go in and ask, okay, well, will you speak to your higher power, God? And, and you just sort of give me the wisdom, give me the guidance, let me know, and let me be honest and address what I've done and be honest and ask for forgiveness for what I've done because I'm not perfect. But also give me courage to rise up and take on a challenge that you're presenting me, which is you want to go through life regretting and being sad and disappointed that things didn't go the way they have gone and just blame everyone and anything in the weather and go right ahead that is a choice it's not the choice i want so i do the more difficult thing i face it head on i uh have to let go of it sometimes i have to realize that there's sometimes it's just not going to change you're not going to get the outcome you want you're not going to get closure you're not going to walk away being buddy buddy it's just sometimes it's just acknowledging that it is where it is and it's not ready yet, I suppose. 
and then moving on. Stop trying to get someone to be something they're not ready to be. That's your outlet. See, when people say to you, this is the legal part, the DND part, like the do not disclose, it keeps the victimization to yourself. Right. Which and makes then, yeah. like, how do you heal? Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, first thing is, I don't want you to talk to anyone about what I did here. And I don't want you to acknowledge or say to anyone what we did or how we handled it. Now, maybe there's a payment or maybe there's some sort of remedy on paper or somehow that does, you couldn't pay me enough to bury some pain like that and continue to live a good life. Like you would constantly be, you know, and so that is a tactic that's used a lot is this like silence, uh, forced silence. Yeah, I think that is really like in a society that's attempting to address mental health and awareness. And, exactly. and that okay. is the opposite direction. Exactly. Um, exactly. So far from doing this thing called I'm wrong, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? What did you mean by that? Can we talk about this? And those are holy, con- those are the only conversations we should be having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was so right. This person was so wrong. Like the only thing we should be actually talking about, in my opinion, is going right up to people who hurt you or you hurting them and saying, let's talk because I'm walking around with this stuff. And instead, we spend all this time proving and explaining. I do it myself. And yeah. yeah. Sympathy and Meanwhile, it just keeps perpetuating all the BS. And then why do you think we're having a huge war right now? It does lead me to the point where we look at media and and how media can help a story or it can benefit from clicks. And I think that is a really important conversation to have today. (laughs) What is the weight and what is the responsibility of responsible platforms ensuring that there is... Uh, well-balanced judicial stories. What's one thing that you wish every person knew? One key to freedom, living a free life. Oh, I, I've, I know. I've got to, I'm going to go to the Victor Hugo quote, which has been really driving me recently, and that's that there's no force on earth great enough to stop an idea whose time has come. So it's not up to me to make a change. It's up to me to just do what I do and hope people take notice. And with the soup trailer... I just wanted to do something and doing it. Now we're talking and people are talking. That's great. So just keep doing the little things you're doing and know that they are being seen. They are worthwhile. It may feel like you're just making sandwiches in your basement and handing them out and no one knows, but you're making that difference. And that is changing lives. Whatever you're doing, just keep doing it and find your community and and get into that community and spot a problem that needs to be altered or improved and then just commit to doing that one thing fix that problem make it more efficient create the delivery model create the quality level bring down the price so beautiful that sounds like the beginning of a great entrepreneurship how can we get in touch with you how can we support you financially how can we founder what are the all the things that i'm looking to scale up next year um there's been a company who's reached out to offer to help with the build out of a new trailer, but I need a fabricator. I need someone who knows how to work with stainless and needs can create a design based on what we need. So then we could start to mass produce these over the next couple of years. The entry point's pretty low, but I do need the help to come in place to help scale it up quicker. And then we can get them into more cities. I've had people in LA reach out to me. Two people from LA have reached out to me. Very cool on Instagram. And I've spoken to them. Hopefully they've connected now. 
they both said, we need this. Like I'm in Hollywood and we need this. Like you should see like you're, how is no one already doing that? Like, it's not like a, it's not like it's a secret recipe. It was to me, it was just something that needed to be done. You know what I mean? And maybe you, you've said that that's a little humble, but it's really, that's all it is, is it's just not taking the crap anymore and saying, I'll wait for someone else to do it. I just stepped up and did it. And I know that's a little tough for some people to say, oh, I don't have the means, but I did. I had a little savings and, and I could sit on it and take a vacation or, you know, treat myself to a new vehicle. But instead, I decided to put it in this. And I've always wanted to run a business. So I'm looking for partners to come forward who can help grow the business. You can go to www.nofixaddress.ca and you can buy Huggables. Buying Huggables gives me sustainability, allows me to ensure that I can meet my ends, cover my bills, ensure that the supplies are in place, that we can go out and continue to do this on a larger scale. So Instagram's great. I'd love to do some live streams and get some collabs going. So I'd love to use social to create a revenue stream that uh, the business could be funded by the likes of people enjoying the content. Um, I watch Soft White Underbelly a lot, really personal interviews with people, and you get to really see the humanity and the life in them, and they're just brilliant. And I'd like to do something similar where we, we tastefully tell the stories of people, like maybe an app, right, where it could be like a message board where I could meet people, and when they're comfortable, I could take a picture of them, and I could do a video, and they could say hi to people and say, I'm okay, Mom. I'm having a bit of a tough time, but I want to let you know if, I'm okay. And that message board could be on an app. You could go city by city and people could voluntarily put messages out to loved ones that might be looking for them. Because one of the issues with my own dad is when he was homeless, it was continually harder and harder to find him. Mm. I, I could not locate where he was at the end. And and I always knew he was in someone's house or he was between this couch and that couch. But when there was a time when I didn't know where he was and then I went out for dinner. It turns out a friend from high school was the waiter. Uh, this guy named Rich. And then after the dinner, we were talking and he said, so do you know where your dad is? And I said, because Rich was a friend who knew my dad and knew that knew our life. I said, I know, I don't know where he is. He goes, I do. He goes, he's sleeping on the bench across the street. I see him every morning. And so that's when I was just, I said, are you kidding me? Like I hadn't even talked to this rich guy in years. And he's doing me the favor of telling me he knows where my dad is. He's on the bench at the lake across the street. He had moved on at that point. But then, you know, it was a series of moves and choices, which eventually I, I think led to his poor health, which ended up being his last. What ended up taking him was a blood clot, which is poor management of the deep vein thrombosis that he had uh, from a life of mismanaged health. So more content and more awareness so that we could transition this into a self-sufficient model by leveraging the power of social media to create enough awareness and funding to sustain the operation. Basically, it would be a hybrid charity that relies on the superheroes who are following and watching the content to feed the food to the people who know it to help them move up so that we can get the people into housing first. We could get more treatment supply around to help people navigate the, the power of addiction and to overcome it in their own trials. That would be the dream. Great to meet you. And I feel so filled up. It's nice to see other people out there trying to make this world a better place. You are such a light. Here are some nuggets of wisdom from Tyler Melnick. Matthew 633, Bible, Christian Bible. Seek the kingdom of God, go forward and do good and see what comes of it. When giving charity, you never want to make the person that you're giving to feel embarrassed. And that is the basis behind why Tyler does what he does in the first place. I mentioned that charity, the word for charity in Hebrew is tzedakah, which the root tzedek means justice. There's also eight levels of charity in Judaism, and I'm going to put a link 
for that in the show notes, so you can check that out. I love studying that with my students because in the center of it is the doorway. There's literally a doorway in the middle of the word sadaka, and I love that because no matter what side we're on, and, and people always change in their life. Sometimes you feel up, sometimes you feel down, not only with money, but in terms of our luck, so to speak, or our relationships, or our relationships with God, feeling like we're connected or we're really disconnected. And all along, there's always a doorway for paying attention. How kind we are is usually related to how much justice is being served in our life, right? If we feel that someone has been inhumane, we might be in a bad mood and lash out, act in a just way. And I remember hearing David Sachs recently in one of my classes with him. Joseph was always righteous. And why is that? Because in the Torah, he is described as being successful twice. Once when he was in the middle of darkness, uh, being thrown into the pit by his brothers, and another time when in jail. And so why was he so righteous? Because even in the darkest of times when he felt that justice was against him, he chose to do the right thing. And that's truly the test that we have all the time as human beings. We have the power to sometimes undo someone's circumstances by our actions. In the exact instance when someone comes up to us and says, hey, could I have a dollar? Even if you don't have the money, you could take the time to look them in the eye and say to them kindly with a smile, I'm sorry, I don't have any money on me, but I just wanted to say, I hope you have a good day. Give them a blessing of sorts. And when we do that, we actually can change their lives for the better, even in that tiny circumstance, changing their circumstance with our actions, with our words, with our thoughts. All of these are from the Hasidus that I like to learn called the Tanya. And we can literally change the circumstances for ourselves and others by those tiny little instances, changing our circumstances, changing their circumstances. I love that Tyler refers to people who run his business, his donations. They come from superheroes. I call my nieces that because they'll say to me, BB, because that's what they call me. That's my nickname. You know, why do you always call me a superhero? I'm not. And I always say, yes, you are. There's, I have three nieces, Kanaira, and so each of them is a superhero to the other because when they watch that person in their family doing the right thing, all of a sudden, the pe people watching them become superheroes as well. Even when only one or two people are watching and it's not proclaimed on Instagram or social media, it's just doing the right thing for the right thing's sake and you are a superhero when someone else notices. Tyler refers to three steps inside of a relationship. There is the sense of self, the aim, A-I-M, or goal, and then the relationship itself. You cannot heal inside the same place where the trauma began unless you inside of yourself make the change that needs to happen. And you can take yourself wherever you go. It's not always the place, even though we have in Judaism a saying that's change your place, change your mazal, change where you live, and all of a sudden you could change your fate. You also have to change what's going on inside. Otherwise, every place will start to look the same on the outside. You got to go in and ask. This is his tool. God, give me the wisdom and guidance and, and ask for forgiveness for what I've done and rise up and take on the challenges and not be a victim. Don't blame others or the weather. Face it head on. Let go. Sometimes the things around us won't change. Okay, so then you let go of the outcome and you try something new. 
Acknowledge it. Acknowledge yourself wherever you are. Stop trying to get someone to change who maybe can't. Even though you want to believe that people can change for the better and just because things look the same today as they did yesterday doesn't mean that tomorrow will be the same. The Rev Label Hager quote, my wonderful teacher David Sachs always teaches me. And I have a song about just because today seemed like yesterday doesn't mean tomorrow too. And just because today looked like yesterday doesn't mean we're all through. Uh. Help me co-create, help me co-create, Lord, help me co-create right now. Holy conversations can be defined as, I forgive you. Do you forgive me? Let's talk about it because I'm walking around with so much pain from our past conversation. See if you can do those three things to say, I forgive you. Do you forgive me? I forgive myself. Let's talk about it because I'm walking around with so much pain from our last conversation. And of course, his Victor Hugo line, there's no force on earth great enough to stop an idea whose time has come. What an amazing human being Tyler Melnick is, and he's so courageous, and he's doing it in such a beautifully loving, warm way. I mean, the name of the most important thing on his menu is hug a bowl, a bowl that's feels like a hug for someone who can't afford it. And his advice to everyone is, you don't have to do something on such a grand scale as what I'm doing. You can just do little things every day and change the circumstances for yourself and for others just by doing a small thing. Change your actions, change the circumstance for yourself and others. Thank you so much for joining. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.